0: You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from north valley baptist church in santa clara california led by pastor jack treber though located in the heart of the silicon valley you will hear fervent old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of north valley baptist church it is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message
1: matthew chapter 16 we'll read through a few familiar verses and I do want to take time to read some verses around that as well. We'll begin reading in verse number 13 of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 13. The Bible says and when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, "Whom do men say that I the son of man am?" And they said, "Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets." And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Verse 21, the Bible says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from me, be it far from me, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto him, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. For thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Tonight I'm going to preach a message on the subject of the church triumphant is alive and well. The church triumphant is alive and well. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight, wherever again you find yourself, and let's ask God and the Holy Spirit of God to speak to our hearts tonight. Father, we do come before you, Lord, with gracious hearts, Lord, for what you've done for us. And Lord, when we consider the church tonight, the church that you died for and gave yourself for, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize once again how precious and how special it is to be able to be a part of a local New Testament Baptist church, Lord, I pray that you might bless the service tonight, bless the message, and Lord, I pray that you'd help us to give attention to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to our heart. Lord, I know there's familiar verses that we're looking at, but I pray that you would settle our hearts, settle our minds, minimize distractions around us, and allow you to deal with our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Chapter 16 of Matthew is a chapter that is sort of a really kind of a turning point in the ministry of our Lord. He has presented himself up until this point through, of course, preaching, Uh, Through teaching we think of the Sermon on the Mount. He's presented himself through his miracles that he'd done to those around them Raising of the dead healing of the blind allowing the lame to walk He's also presented himself through the work of the disciples as he sends them out and has sent them out two by two uh, To preach to the lost sheep of the house of Israel But overall we understand and as we look in chapter 16 as we come to this place overall Jesus has been rejected so now he takes his disciples in chapter 16 to the northern part of Israel towards Galilee for the purpose of revealing to them a truth that we're going to look at tonight and a truth that is very familiar to us, but it is a truth unknown to them until this point in the New Testament. In order tonight for us to introduce what Jesus was going to tell the disciples and in order even for us to understand the word of God tonight, Jesus in verse number 13 has the disciples to accurately identify HIMSELF. Now I want to challenge you as we look at this for just a brief few moments in our introduction tonight, don't, don't, don't lose track of what we're doing because in order for the disciples to understand that Jesus was about to teach them something new and he was about to reveal a truth to them about the church, it wasn't about anything else, it wasn't about a kingdom, it wasn't about a government, but the Lord Jesus Christ was about to reveal to them something about the church that he was going to establish and that he was going to die for and they had to get the issue In verse number 13, right. You and I have to get the issue in verse number 13, right. And We might be saying tonight, we might understand as you're listening to me and as you're watching, you might say, well, I, I, I know who Christ is, I know who he came to be, and I know all about this. Let's lay the groundwork tonight. Jesus asked them in verse number 13, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Of course we know the story how they related the opinions of that day some thought that he was John the Baptist now tonight that wouldn't be a bad thing to be confused with John the Baptist uh, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ the one who said uh, make straight the way of the Lord and was that one as a voice crying in the wilderness and that preached uh, repentance and that preached fruit meat for repentance and he come as that voice crying in the wilderness and he prepared the way of the lord and he was the one who shouted and cried out i'm not even worthy to to unlatch his, his shoes even herod in his fear and respect of john the baptist thought jesus was him back from the dead other opinions was that jesus was elijah and we might think that that's just a common prophet that they would guess but when you look in the last verse of the book of malachi as you turn the, 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 the chapter and you turn the book closed on the Old Testament books of the Bible, the Bible, Malachi prophesies that there would one be coming in the, in the name of Elijah to preach the day of the Lord. And so the common thought was, well, maybe Jesus was Elijah. Still another opinion was that Jesus was Jeremiah, that weeping prophet sent to, to bring God's people back to himself just before they went into, into exile. And then the Bible doesn't stop there. It goes on to say that there were countless others who thought Jesus to be any one of the other prophets that, you could, that would come to your mind if you thought it, people had the idea that it might have been him. But I want us to realize tonight the same thing they needed to realize 2,000 years ago. And that is just thinking of Jesus Christ in the highest human form is not enough. Let me say that again. Just thinking of Jesus Christ in the highest human form, is not enough. Oh, even King Herod showed very, very high regard for Jesus Christ, thinking that he could have been John the Baptist. He was scared to death of John the Baptist as he he preached. But someone said, he who is glory can never be compared to man. And we'll be careful tonight as we understand the message and as we lay the groundwork for this, we have to understand just like the disciples had to understand that Jesus Christ was not Jeremiah, he was not John the Baptist or any other prophet or any other man. He was the Lord Jesus Christ come to this earth. Now tonight that might sound simple to you and I, we know the word of God. We, we've We've had a complete word the We've had the complete word of God for over 2,000 years now. We have the ability to have Bibles upon Bibles upon Bibles on our shelf, and we use them here. We might have one at the office. We might have one in our car. We might have one on uh, our nightstand. We have we have multiple Bibles, and we are privileged to have the word of God before us, and and we understand who Jesus Christ is. Oh, but may we never forget tonight, it is a working of the Holy Spirit of God to reveal the truth of who Jesus Christ is to you. In fact, verse number 17, Jesus told Peter, after Peter got the question right, Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter, but God the Father did. And the truth that Jesus was going to relate to the disciples is the same truth that we need to be refreshed with in the days in which we find ourselves living today. And that is that he is the rock upon which the local New Testament church was founded. And because of that fact, the Bible tells us the word of God, in the, in the word of God, the church triumphant is alive and well. That doesn't mean all churches will always be true. That doesn't mean all churches will always survive. That even doesn't mean that all churches that call itself as church is a biblical New Testament church. But listen to me very carefully what it does mean. It does mean from that time in Matthew chapter 16 all the way until the time of the rapture of the local New Testament church. Listen to this. It means that there will be called out local assemblies of God's people that are teaching and preaching the word of God and that are reaching people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against that. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said this, we have always existed from the very days of Christ. And our principles, sometimes veiled and forgotten like a river which may travel underground for a little season, have always had honest." and holy adherence, and I'll add to that, we'll always have honest and holy adherence. Jesus goes on to say there in our text, but whom say ye that I am? Again, Peter got it right in verse number 16, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So again, understand as we go through the message tonight, before Jesus could relay this truth to him, that this is what it's all about. All of the asking by Jesus, whom do men say that I am, some John the Baptist, some Jeremiah, uh, some, some others. But, but before all of that and laying all of that was, was for what we're getting to tonight. And that was before Jesus could relate to them that the church was triumphant and alive and will always be, he wanted to make sure the disciples could accurately identify who he was. Tonight, if you don't have who he is is right, Your foundation is weak at best. And many churches are non-existent today because they were founded upon a man instead of the rock. So tonight I submit to you the truth of the word of God that there is no need to worry, there is no need to fear, there is no need to wonder what will happen to our church, North Valley Baptist Church, or any Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Why? Because God is in control, Jesus is on the throne, and he has already made provision in his word that the local New Testament church will go forward in spite of the climate of the world, in spite of the culture in which she finds herself. And tonight you can believe that. I want you to see, first of all, in verse number 18, you and I can't affect the founding. You and I can't affect the founding. What does the Bible say in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18? And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, now watch this, and upon this rock I will build my church now people get all messed up messed up on this verse today but the disciples were familiar with the old testament and they knew full well that jesus was referring to himself being that rock upon which the church was founded the disciples understood all the way back in the old testament as the children of israel throughout those wilderness wanderings for those 40 years they understood how that god told moses to strike that rock once when the, when the Israelites needed water, signifying that Jesus would be crucified for our sins, that rock. And we know the story, the account goes, how that second time that God told Moses to speak to that rock, in sin and anger and in haste, Moses struck that rock again. Of course, being kept from the promised land. In Isaiah 28, he is the foundation stone. In Psalm 118, he is the stone that the builders rejected In Deuteronomy 32, he is the rock and his ways are perfect, the Bible says. In Psalm 118, the Bible says, the Lord is my rock. And oh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, speaks of that rock in the wilderness that the Israelites drank from, and the Bible says that rock was Christ. Oh, praise God tonight when we think about it, that that we understand that the foundation rock in verse number 18, it wasn't about Peter. Now, we thank the Lord for his response. We thank the Lord for his recognition that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. But we know that it wasn't about Peter. And tonight, let me, let me remind you we know the foundation of the local New Testament church. It's not about you and it's not about me. Now, the Bible tells us that we are lively stones. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter number two how that God takes and God brings individuals here and God brings individuals there and God builds up the church for his honor and for his glory. God assembles people together into a church body and he gives us pastors and teachers for the edification of the body of Christ and for the work of the ministry. Oh, but don't ever lose sight tonight that the lively stones aren't the foundation rock. Why? Because he's the shepherd and bishop of our souls. He's the cornerstone. Tonight we can have confidence and assurance that God's work will go forward. Why? Based upon the foundation. You and I can't, can't affect that. Because the foundation wasn't laid upon John the Baptist who died, or Jeremiah who died, or Elijah who died, but it was laid upon Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who lives forever. You and I can't affect the founding. But number two, I want you to see hell's agenda can't alter the forward movement. Hell's agenda can't alter the forward movement. Notice what the Bible says at the end of verse number 18. The Bible says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That statement by Jesus covers two things it covers the power of death, but it also covers the power of the devil. Christ promised here to his church that neither the power of death nor the power of the devil and nor all the, the forces that that Satan and hell can muster can or will prevail against the church that he was building. Now hold on a second. If you build a church, you don't have that promise. If I build a church, I, I don't have that promise. Oh, but when you have a church that Jesus Christ built, Christ built, you've got a, you've got a promise. And history proves it to be true all the way throughout the generations of the Bible. And God's trustworthiness is based upon that fact and upon his promise that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And I want to encourage you tonight as North Valley Baptist Church, do not be afraid to hold true to the promises of God concerning his church. That the gates of hell are not going to prevail against this. When Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, don't misunderstand what Jesus was saying. He, he wasn't saying that this was a, that the church was like a, like a heavyweight fighter that was always going to be back on her heels. And, and, and she was always going to be back up against the ropes and, and always reeling from hell's attacks and, and always on the, on the defense of uh, uh, hell's attacks. That's not what Jesus was saying. We know, like that quote from Charles Spurgeon, that there are times because of persecution, sometimes a very, 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 very deep Persecution. That the church was was underground for a time, and and yes, uh, she still flowed, and yes, her witness still went forth, but sometimes it was was veiled in persecution. But that's not been the history of the church overall. Jesus wasn't saying that the church were always gonna be on her heels, but what he was relating was the truth that nothing at all will ever stand against the New Testament church's forward movement. You might be thinking tonight, well yeah, Pastor Atwood, but what about the, what about the need for a revival? You might say, well, this is a positive message about the promises of the church, but what about, what about churches that are in sin? What about churches that are, that are apathetic? What about churches that have gone liberal? What about churches that have, that have, that have uh, adulterated their doctrine and, and changed? And what about the sin that is in almost any Bible-preaching church even today? What about churches that stall or become liberal in their doctrine? And we could certainly spend great amount of time about the ills that are in a church why because churches are made up of Imperfect people and yes, some do fall apart and some die But listen to me very carefully If you think the church is no longer triumphant because of that You think her success has more to do with you than it does with God Let me say that again if you think the church being triumphant has to do more with whether it stays pure and whether, whether any church dies or a church goes into apathy or a church goes into liberalism or whatever it might be. It means you think you are more important than the founder. God's whole promise is not hindered by hell nor by the sin and the apathy of some. I'm not saying all churches are going to survive. I'm not saying it's, all, it's a case at all that all churches are going to stay true and that some won't go into apostasy. Well, just because that happens to some Doesn't mean the promise of Christ is void Why? Because this is bigger Than you and I This is bigger than some church that goes liberal This is bigger than church That some, that some church forsakes her doctrine This is about the promise of the founder That the gates of hell would, would not alter the forward movement By the way Hell has always been raging Against the local New Testament church And it always will You think hell's gates weren't rattling when James was beheaded and Peter was thrown in prison? You think hell's gates weren't rattling when John the Baptist was beheaded? You think hell's gates weren't rattling when Baptists were being drowned for refusing infant baptism? You don't think hell's gates were rattling when the Son of God died upon the cross for our sins? Tonight you can think What is going on right now is an attack of hell. You can think it's not an attack of hell. That really doesn't matter. Because the fact of the matter is, is that the devil has always attacked the church, whether you and I see it or not. The problem is this, listen closely, is that we usually are only on guard against it. And we usually are only sensitive to it when it personally affects us. When it hurts me, when it hurts what I want to do, when it, when it affects my schedule, when it affects what I've, go, what, what I've got going on, when, when something personally bothers me, then I'm, then I'm super ultra aware, oh, oh, the devil's attacking the church. I'm glad you woke up. The devil has always attacked the church. But the promise still remains that hell's, hell's uh, uh, agenda cannot alter the forward movement of the church. Usually we're asleep to it the rest of the time. I tell you this tonight, Christians in the 1040 window would prefer this day that you live today in America over any day that they live any day of the year. But the church still goes forward. By the way, I don't think Nero's government was pro-church in Bible times. But yes, somehow the church and the gospel got to you and me. I've always said this to my church when the Lord allowed me to pastor. But I believe if persecution comes in our time, on these shores like it already is in other countries, we might find out who's serious about getting the gospel out. We might find out who's serious about church. We might not have all the grandeur and the glory that we've got on the outward, but we might find Christians that are sold out to God. Just because tonight we don't get what we want, and just because we don't get it when we want it, and just because hell's agenda is made aware to us, Hey, it still doesn't alter the forward movement of the local New Testament church. Look in verse number 21. I want you to see that no circumstance can amend the future. The Bible says from that time forth, what time forth? Well, the time where Jesus just got done telling them about the local New Testament church, its founder, and his plan, and that hell couldn't stop it. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and look at this, and be killed and be raised again the third day. Isn't it interesting how the disciples forgot about that last phrase, but they remember the first phrase? They always remembered that he would be killed and that he was killed. They believed he was crucified, but they forgot that he rose again the third day and that he promised that. I want you to see tonight that no circumstance can amend the future. If you're the disciples, let's put ourselves in their place tonight. If you're them and you've just heard the conversation with Jesus and you've been engaged in it, you've been paying attention to the promise that he gave about its foundation and about that hell can't alter its forward movement, you then get to verse number 21 where after these things, Jesus begins to tell them how he's going to be arrested and tried and how he's going to be killed and how he's going to raise again the third day. And as you're the disciples, you're thinking, wait, what, what? hold on a second. Jesus, you just told us that, that the church was going to go forward and that, that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Now, this, this doesn't make sense. Now, remember, they had the mentality that Jesus would set up his kingdom right then. So they must have been thinking to themselves, how in the world can Jesus make the promise that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church and in the same breath then turn around and tell us the founder of the church would be killed? That Jesus would go to the cross was an unlikely and unfavorable. Let me say that again. That Jesus would go to the cross was an unlikely and an unfavorable scenario to the disciples. Here, the rock that the church was going to be built upon was telling them that he would die. How can the church prevail against hell if the founder himself is crucified? Nevertheless we understand tonight in 2020 the promise was given because we have the eternal words of God for us Inspired and preserved and that eternal promise remains Why because listen it wasn't up to the disciples to figure out how to build the church after the cornerstone was crucified And it's still not up to you and me no matter the circumstance that the church finds herself in I'm not saying tonight. We don't work I'm not saying tonight as a church. We don't pray In fact, I like the saying, we ought to pray as if there is no work and work as if there's no prayer. But the power, the authority, the blessing, the worship, it belongs to Him. Maybe this ought to be a good reminder for you and I to think about that long and hard. Jesus, when He was here on this earth performing His earthly ministry, As we know, he was 100% God, but also 100% man. He said in John chapter 5 and verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. What was he saying? In my humanity, I have 100% total dependence upon God. How much should our dependence upon God be recognized And be cognizant of that during this time. As we think about the church and we think about what God has given us to do, may we ever be mindful of the Lord Jesus Christ and his total dependence upon God as we are out doing what we are supposed to do as a church family. In fact, when you read what we read there in the account, as Peter speaks up after Jesus said he would be killed and raised again the third day, Jesus relates the fact to Peter because Peter said, no, 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 Lord, you're not going to do that. In fact, I'm not going to let you do that. I'll I'll die before you, and I'll die with you before I ever let that happen. Why would he say that? Well, he just said that because Jesus had just told Peter, I'm the founder, I'm the rock, Peter. So Peter was thinking he had to do something to protect the rock. Peter was thinking he had to do something to to control the situation. But what did Jesus relate the truth to him? He simply said, basically, that you're akin to Satan in your desire and your stance. Why? Because you're trying to go against my plan. Tonight, the local New Testament church belongs to the Lord. And I want to remind us tonight that it will prevail no matter the circumstance. I don't care if it's COVID-19. I don't care if it's the Spanish Inquisition. I don't care if it's a man by the name of Saul wreaking havoc on the church and persecuting people. I don't even care if it's the crucifixion of the founder because he said it was, all, it was all laid out perfectly in his plan and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. But when a church dies, listen, most of the time it's not a crisis from without that causes a church to die. When a church dies, it's because she has been involved in her own selfish pursuits. And before she was ever involved in her own selfish pursuits, the people of the church were involved in their own selfish pursuits. Tonight, the job that you and I have is to trust the one who's in control. And tonight we could say amen, we could, we could close our Bibles, we could have in, the imitation, and we could, we could go home and we could uh, uh, close, turn the TV off, whatever you're watching. And we could say, praise God, we're going to trust God and go forward. Trust the one who's in control. But wait a minute, that's easy to say. That's easy to say, that's, that's my only problem is, is I need to trust God more. But why do I need to trust God? Why do you need to trust God more? I submit to you tonight, it's because I want to have control. Now, when I want to have control, I've got to, I've got to allow Jesus, I've got to allow God to take control. What is that? That's a trust. What does the Bible say? Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Casting has the understanding of throwing a ball. When you throw a ball, you don't have a string attached to it to keep a hold on it in case the other person doesn't catch it. You throw it completely trusting that they've got it and they will take control of it. You see, you and I, we don't like that many times, especially when things are out of our control. Someone once said, most of us don't have a problem with control until we don't have it. Now, why is it difficult? Why is it so difficult for us to trust God, even though it's easy to say, why is it so difficult for us to trust God when we don't have control and allow Him to have control even in in dire and difficult situations and circumstances? One of the reasons it's so hard for us to allow God to have control is because I believe one of the greatest sins of Americans and one of the greatest sins of Christians in America today is pride. Myself included. In many ways we believe that we have the monopoly on Bible on the Bible and Christianity. Tonight as God's people, again myself included, we are so full of pride that we forget that there is a world out there beyond these shores where where faithful people, lovers of this book have stood far longer than this country has ever been in existence. Infinitely more people in every corner of the globe have always faced more difficulty in church attendance and in ministry than you and I have far more over the last eight weeks. And if you don't believe that to be the case, ask any missionary in any country. We are so blessed, but we're prideful. In the book of Habakkuk, God pronounced that he would judge his people, Israel, for the sin of pride. And in fact, the Bible tells us that they were so prideful that they were disgusted that God would use the prideful Chaldeans to do it with. You talk about the pot calling the kettle black. Tonight, listen, tonight, God is not beyond, I said it is not beyond the character of our Savior to use this situation right now with this virus to humble us in some way and remind us that he said, I will build my church. He's used wicked government before to work in the life of his own people. Does the Bible not tell us in the book of 1 Peter that God will judge and judgment begins at the house of God? No, he said, I will build my church. It's not about you. It's not about me. It never has been. By the way, a wicked, sinful government is not control either. The church triumphant is alive and well because Jesus promised it would be, period. No need to worry about it. No need to fear. And not because of me, not because of you, not because of any other man in the history of the world or even fundamentalism, God bless them, but the church is not triumphant because of that. It is triumphant because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So for you and I tonight, instead of getting all bent out of shape, instead of of losing control in a situation where we lack control, the greatest thing that we can do is to trust God. You say, how do I do that? humble ourselves and confess the sin of pride and self and recognize that the Lord has every situation under control. And yes, that includes his church. That's the wonderful thing about faith and trust. We don't have to know how it's all gonna work out, but we know it will. By the way, tonight, we ought to be reminded we ought to thank God for this book because this book has carried God's people through far deeper waters than we're facing Yet we get pretty worked up when things don't go our way. Either we believe as God's people God allows all things or we don't. Saying that God is in control isn't just for when circumstances are to our liking. When God allows something like this in our life, we shouldn't say, why did God allow this? Why, 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 why is God causing this? Why, why did God bring this into our life? But rather, your attitude and my attitude ought to be, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? God, what do I need to learn? Because the worst thing that we can do as God's people and as a church family is to come through this and reopen, not having allowed God to do anything in our heart. I would submit that there would be greater danger in reopening any aspect of the Christian's life without God, because if we do so, we're worse off for having missed A wonderful opportunity for god to work in us because if we don't allow him to deal with our sin you find that all throughout the pages of the bible we always go back to the coldness that we had and it's usually worse yeah sometimes there's reformation sometimes there's a a turning over a new leaf sometimes there's a polishing of the outside but if there is not true revival and repentance of sin we always go back tonight we're going to bow for a word of prayer And I'm going to ask you wherever you are to bow your head and close your eyes as we pray as we close the message and consider how the Holy Spirit has spoken to our heart tonight. Father, we thank you for the wonderful privilege to be a part of a local New Testament Baptist church. We thank you for the promises, Lord, in your word that we can go to. God, I'm so thankful that I don't have to turn to the edicts of man to find out what I'm supposed to do. Lord, I don't have to turn to the creeds and oracles that Early, quote-unquote, church fathers have written to determine what I'm supposed to do or what I'm supposed to believe or if I should worry and fear and bite my fingernails or not. God, we've got the promise of a holy God that tells us that you built the church, you were the founder, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it no matter the circumstance. God, I pray that you'd forgive us tonight of our pride. Forgive us tonight of of our selfishness. Lord, in believing that, that we have the answer and we've got the only answer, Lord, that no one is right but us, God, I pray that you'd help us to humble ourselves. Lord, and realize there's many, many that have gone before us that love you, that love this book. If it weren't for the promise of the church, Lord, we would have nothing. We thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray.